Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. In the first of two installments for episode 14, Graham McMillan and I take a long look at Alan Moore's recent controversial interview and then try to make some sense out of the current comics marketplace. Needless to say, we were able to solve everyone's problems in just a little over an hour. I hope you enjoy, and thanks for listening. Official stars! Woo! Yeah, uh, just because if we, if we, I mean, I the, can the talk best, to you the all best day. Part is like, we just said that, and now we can just be like, hey, everyone, we've just been talking for 20 minutes about stuff you'll never hear. I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, you love doing that. I, I It's like, <laughs> bad news, everyone. I can't tell you this. You are, uh, you're um, quite, quite the, uh, the Salome of the uh, podcasting set, Graham, I think. Um, but to be fair, that's because we've just been talking about stuff that would probably bore the shit out of everyone. <laughs> yes. It will either bore let's, you or offend you. Yeah. Yes. So. Let's, let's talk about our working situations and vacation plans. <laughs> That's what people want to hear for 20 minutes. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I included some of the other stuff about the weather from one of our other podcasts and people were <laughs> it's like, true. it's true. There's got to be a blend. There's got to be a blend. But, uh, but yes, I definitely was like, well, there's, there's not enough, um, clever crazy stuff to include i was i definitely none of that other stuff was going to make the cut so but now we can get down to the real material which is um exactly the the a material yes the a-list stuff so should we start talking about the the alan moore um reaction or should we talk about it under that rubric that you sort of mentioned uh, that you want to if you want to try and make a case let which one the, the that's a generational thing yes well, this is my theory about the generation thing. Well, actually, it's, it's the Alan Moore interview, as you know at the time, because I sent an email. Mm-hmm. Um, my reaction was very much of the, wow, he's really paranoid. Right. Fine. And I still think that. And what I've, I mean, aside from the generation thing, something I found fascinating about the reaction is everyone's playing straw man arguments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The people who are defending Moore are saying... He, you know, he's not paranoid. He's gone through so much, you know, and and that's it's not the point. Like no one's saying he's paranoid. Saying he is not being fucked by DC, you know, he does not have every right not to, you know, want Watchmen to or be involved in this at all. They're saying he sounds paranoid and he sounds like a grumpy old man who kind of fucks over his friends. Like it's very eager to destroy friendships on what for me is is a very minor point i mean i understand you know the sole idea of that he's so principled about watchmen and about his work that if you think someone has crossed him that's the end of the friendship but that seems really oddly brittle to me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i think if he was genuinely friend i mean he's, he says in the interview if he's genuinely friends with dave gibbons for 30 years the idea that Dave Gibbons is like, well someone at dc mentioned this he'd be like i'm never talking to you again seems like an overreaction Right. Um, and then elsewhere in an interview, we're talking about like my my royalty check is six weeks late. Clearly, they're fucking with me. No, I mean seriously, that that drove me insane. It was like there are so many reasons that royalty check could be six weeks late. Right. And for him to say either they're fucking with me or DC has financial problems is so catty. It's untrue. I mean, he's he's it's insanely like I am trying to start a rumor to hurt these people who. To be perfectly honest, I don't think DC really gives a shit about Alan Moore beyond the publicity aspect. <laughs> and I think he's taking it really, really... I think he's taking it much more personally than they mean it. 
oh, he, I think he's taking it incredibly personally. Uh, but I, I don't, don't think they mean it personally, if that makes sense. I think they want the plus of saying Alan Moore is okay with this, or Alan Moore is not going to have an interview where he tells everyone that he does not care, but bad-mouthed at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think... I mean, they're not asking him to write any of the material. They're not asking... It doesn't even sound like they're even asking for his permission to do it. It sounds like they're just telling him that they're considering it and asking for his blessing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which does not feel like that's how he's reacting. Right. Um, and I don't know, just the interview itself, I, I feel that he came across as incredibly paranoid and as someone who I would not want to be friends with because I would be afraid that I could say the wrong thing entirely by accident and suddenly be blacklisted. Right. Well, but say, saying that, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that any of his work is terrible or that he has not been fucked with DC in the past. And I, I don't get the, the, the reaction from people who are defending Moore's interview seems to be a, a sense of, no, he's really been messed with in the past. I think he's justified in feeling this way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't see why both can't be true. I don't see why he can be justified in being upset at DC, but also be overly reactionary and paranoid. Well, because I don't think that... Uh, I, at least the impression I get is it's not like the reaction of most of the people have been like, wow, he sounds incredibly you know, paranoid... Uh, and and cranky and and reactionary, you know. But you know, there's there's usually not a but there. Like it it just kind of seems like everyone's like, wow, Alan Moore just sounds like he's in inc- like incredibly ungrateful and bitter. And but at, I'm what, kind of, but at I, what point do you have to? At what point can you not just take the but of red? Uh, I don't think you ever can though. I, I don't I don't think that I I think that those things. have to be sort of laid out there if you say like if people don't say that but part i mean and not not like but he's you know uh i feel the problem is is it's not like a lot of people are saying you know and his works aren't that great so like when people respond and go but alan moore has like done all this stuff and has changed the medium and yada 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 i know that that's not what you or the other people who are responding to to his interview are are saying but i do think that there's kind of a to me you can't say that well just because we're not saying that doesn't mean that it's not applicable there's there are people for whom i mean you know you yourself and i this i you've never you've always been left cold by more stuff and i'm not saying that that means that you're saying like therefore he deserves to be fucked over but you know that's exactly what i'm saying well okay i'm sorry allow me to rephrase that (laughs) yes exactly (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but you know, but I do feel that that there is a a kind of um I do feel that there is a little bit of where people step in and go, well, you know, this guy's work is really important. Um do have a very strong tendency to go like, yeah, we were, you know, which is probably where the old dinosaur factor rolls in where well, old yeah, farts are sort of so stepping I, in and going I think there is some sense of um generational bias mm-hmm. in the reactions. For two reasons. One, I think that there is a uh, a generation or an age cutoff, if you like, mm-hmm. wherein Moore is almost defended from a lot of these criticisms because people remember what comics were like before him. Mm-hmm. 
And so he, he will always be the seminal figure. Right. No matter what he does. Right. Um, and I think on the flip side of that, there is uh, a younger generation for whom Moore is, it's almost, it is taken a shred that Moore is responsible for all of this. But that comes with the, um, the background of also, he almost deserves to be taken down a peg in their minds because he's been deified by other people. Right. Which and and I'm totally okay with that. I think that there is, or or rather, I think that that's totally okay within within certain frameworks. I think, for example, when when Lost Girls came out, and a lot of us were like, "This is borderline atrocious." To you know, uh, you know, Bo- you, borderline is polite. Well, yeah, it is. It is because part of me is like, I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm sure there's some chronic masturbator out there who you know, gets off on Crayola crayons who thought it was awesome. But, you know, I, I, I think that generally calling that or saying that uh, that um, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen's Black Dossier was, like, kind of lifeless and overstuffed. Um, it's like you're saying everything I said against his recent work. Well, yeah, I've actually Googled <laughs> it right now, and I'm just I, I, reading I, it right down yeah, the list. Exactly. <laughs> No, and I, and and I think I totally I'm okay. I, again, it's that's the kind of framework w- within which I think it's. I have more of a, um, I have a lot more sympathy for because it's that idea of like, you know, this work isn't as strong. This work does need to be taken down as a peg. There are things. I mean, there's there's bits and pieces of Watchmen that are incredibly um, awkward. You know that don't pan out. Uh, that mm. you know the the ending itself is kind of a, a collapsing souffle of various bits and pieces. He doesn't he doesn't you know plant the landing, but um, I think that's a very different case from you know turning around and saying for God's sakes, crabby McCrabby pants, quit complaining about DC when you know like. He, you know, it's not like he's John Byrne and he's got the, you know, John Byrne forum where he gets to go and say all this stuff and he deletes anyone who disagrees with him. He's like, anytime anyone gives him an interview, it's all but the rigor that they're going to ask him. And for the what? most part, he doesn't hesitate to, to break things out. I don't necessarily think that that is, I, I can understand why people are bored by that. But I don't necessarily think that um, as as the as it escalates and as more like um, you know sort of unloosens his bile gland about this stuff um, that you know people are like wow he sounds like really bitter and cranky and and how dare he like impugn the rest of the comic book industry. Um, it's like you're saying things and like I'm now trying to build a list in my head of everything I want to respond to. <laughs> He's in Graham's in list mode. Like, uh, look, number one, um, I think I think it's really unfair for people, including myself, to respond to that bleeding cool interview with a sense of he's always complaining about Watchmen purely because that's all it seems that anyone ever asks him about. Right. And so it's it's kind of ridiculous for people to be like, I wish you'd shut up about it when people keep asking him, mm-hmm. and it's it becomes this. Um, this cycle that just keeps, you know, it, it's self-perpetuating because, mm-hmm. of course, people are going to ask him because he's going to say something like that, which will get them lots of hits. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it, it's if I was talking to Alan Moore, I'd ask him a Watchmen question. Right. Do you know what I mean? Because at some point, he's going to say something absolutely 
batshit insane. <laughs> Be- no, but he will because he's that upset about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, sure, that's where you're going to get your hits. That's the way you're going to get your money for the day. Fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just, I think that he's, I feel like he's lost perspective on it. And I feel that he is still so deified in the industry that him saying things like there's not a top flight, medium flight, or bottom flight of talent becomes entirely distorted. Uh, And also genuinely, like, has crossed the line into being a dick. Like, even though though it's being taken much more seriously than it's intended. Well, yeah, I mean, clearly. It's still being a dick to say that. Because if nothing else, he's insulting people he's worked with. Uh, you know, I think that um, that sort of being cheeky, kind of being a dick type thing is not a... I don't know. For me, I'm like, I honestly can't imagine who's going to take offense at that. You know, oh, like I'm shocked. Did, did you no, know? I saw I saw hard. some of them, and a part of me is still kind of shocked. Like, and the, to me, the classic example is like there was the you know I guess Rich or whatever repeated a tweet from like Frank Thierry or somebody who was like, you know, like hey, well, my mother you. thinks. Yes, and I was like, okay. On the one hand, Frank Thierry is is of course you know make you know making a joke by saying like my mom thinks i'm top flight but you know like part of me is like everyone's jumping in going like what 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 i'm not you know i'm just like nobody like nobody can take that complaint seriously because alan moore has said in other places he hasn't even read comics for that many years you know no but they they will take seriously because it's alan moore that's the thing it's like if stan lee said it I don't think Stanley has read anything other than what he's written, and in some cases, not even the things that he's written. I, I'm willing to bet. Yeah, I was going to say. I was like, should be too generous, Graham. <laughs> but at the same time, if Stanley said something like, "There is no, there is not one talented creator working at Marvel," which he never would, because it's so outside of like the Stanley brand. Right. But if he said it, mm-hmm. no one would care mm-hmm. that he did not have a clue what he's talking about. Right. Everyone would be upset about it. Alan Moore is the same type of figure that it is just i think it's just irresponsible um irresponsible see that's the thing it's not it's not like irresponsible makes it sound like he's like driving drunk and blindfolded it's not like dc is going to turn around and go oh my god alan moore has said that we have no top flight talent working here let's get on the phone and fire everyone it's not like anyone like loses their work i mean irresponsible no i mean in the sense of People are going to read that and respond negatively to it, and he is insulting people that he does not even consider when he says it. Yeah, he. But why should he? You know what I mean? Like, I, here's my thing: is is there is I kind of have this thing of like, what the fuck has everyone done for Alan Moore? I mean, you know, to flip it around in like the most okay, obnoxious why did, way why possible. Why does everyone have to do anything for Alan Moore? N- well, nobody does per se. But this is my thing: is like the industry continues to perpetuate all kinds of crazy, crappy, and unhealthy behavior. And nobody has stood up for, you know, that for any sort of real or imagined shitting ons of most of the people in the industry. Like Alan Moore is in a, in a position of incredible power 
in terms of the stuff that he has written and co-created has endured to the point where it's still in print and it's still making him money and to an extent he's still in demand as a result of that but nobody when all this stuff came out like i mean to to flip it around Moore has, you know, said on on the the movie properties that he's developed, he turns down the licensing money and he gives it to the artists. Now, it could very well be that there's some other situation that I've not heard of that that just doesn't make it out there because people don't want to tell the story for whatever reason. But it's not like anyone's ever done the same for him. You know, it's not it's not like someone it's not like Dave Gibbons was like, well, sorry, I can't take this Watchmen money check out of protest for the way that, you know, you guys have continued to keep the rights for for Watchmen or I don't feel like you guys are doing a service to to Alan Moore. So, I mean, like the industry, I don't know if there's anyone who's ever turned around and said like, hey, you know what, this whole thing for V for Vendetta where they, you know, where Joel Silver like said stuff and Alan Moore asked for a, an apology and they refused like I'm just not going to go see the movie and I'm going to tell people I'm not going to see the movie or maybe I'm not going to like you know sell my property to like DC or Joel Silver nobody ever fucking does that and in a way nobody on the one hand nobody quote unquote has to but there is a feeling for me where I can imagine being a grumpy passive aggressive 60 year old hippie who smokes a tremendous amount of pot and being talked, you know, being interviewed about the comics industry and just kind of going, well, you know, fuck them. What have they done for me? And I, I, wait, wait, I so kind of can't blame you're them. You're not a, a six, an angry six year old. I'm getting dangerously close day <laughs> by day by day. No, uh, you know, absolutely. I mean, I, I, you know, I have my uh, own line. I mean, way back when, like, I was the guy who, like, completely felt kind of gross and crappy like paying money to like go see v for vendetta in the theater then i actually watched the movie and felt grosser and crappy i, I was gonna say there's so many reasons to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but i mean i i understand your points but i also think it's an unfair question because i think that alan moore would refuse like i don't think you could even make the offer because alan moore shuts down all of that type of just in the possibility of that in the first place with his response to that sort of licensing money. Mm-hmm. And I also think that no one is ever going to say something about that because if there's one thing that all these interviews with Alan Moore express, it's that Alan Moore is very, 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 very eager to take offense at your behavior and never talk to you again. Well, honestly, if that's the case, I would have a difficult time believing that he and Dave Gibbons were actually able to remain friends for 30 years. You know what I mean? If he were that quick to take offense, don't you think it would have happened the first time somebody refused to, like, you know, shake the hands of Glycon the snake puppet when they went over to his house or something? But we don't know the number of people that, who are not comics professionals that have he has cut off because well, he's... But we don't know. But th- there's this weird, cra- like you said, that's where the straw man argument kicks in of like, well, obviously, you know, he's offended everyone or, you know, it's it's like it goes either way. I personally think that his interview was just a big pile of cheekiness and, and arguably is no more irresponsible than than a comic book critic um, on the Internet saying really, really mean things about the people who've created a, a shitty piece of work. 
You hey, know? bear in mind that I do share. I do feel a lot of guilt about things I've said. <laughs> <laughs> You're stepping on really, 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 really weak ground. <laughs> well, I, and, but I don't. But the, but see, this is my thing: is is that ultimately? Um... No, but see, I I agree and I disagree because I think it really is a case of because of who he is and because of how idolized he is and because of how seriously people take his words because they think that he is a bastion of credibility and integrity. I think his words have more strength than, for example, I mean, I'm not even going to compare him to like, you know, you, me or Hibbs, but Brian Bendis or Mark Miller or people for whom they are so present and so part of the conversation and so out there uh, in the sense of available as opposed to what they say is crazy. Um, that what they say becomes devalued to a sense, or you can say, like everyone does with Mark Miller now, no one really takes Mark Miller seriously. Right. Do you know what I mean? And I think that there's a difference between being cheeky when you're Mark Miller and being cheeky when you're Alan Moore, because people will take what he, Alan Moore says more seriously. Uh, yeah, I maybe I'm wrong, but I don't really see that being... I, like I, I do. If you're going to say you don't see that being the case, look at the conversation from his interview. People mm-hmm. quite clearly on both sides of the argument are taking him, I think, much more seriously than he intended to be taken, mm-hmm. but are also drawing all these conclusions. They're extrapolating what he says in every single direction to feed their own bias. But they are. The people who don't want to like him, want to say he's crazy, are taking all these extrapolations. People who think that he's a bastion of integrity are taking all these extrapolations. And and You're right, the people, Graham. The people who want to take offense are taking offense because he's out there. Like, if Brian Bendis had said the same thing, people no, would have been like, I'm Graham, upset. That's your, it. your argument is, is that the power of Alan Moore is so strong that people on the internet are arguing like they're people on the internet. Don't you think? <laughs> like, I mean, I'm sort of like, really? That's, I'm not sure that I'm with you on that one. That's my argument, Jeff. <laughs> Anyway, I mean, ultimately, I I personally think that it's it's kind of a shame that it just got that it is it sort of was. I was like, I was shocked that people were continuing to talk about it. I'm kind of shocked that there are if there is anyone that's that's upset about it. That's that's a drag. My biggest um, the person that I feel the sorriest for in it is Alan Moore, and not it, and probably on a both sides of the fence kind of way, because honestly, I do think, um, I, you know, to me, a more classic, uh, example of Alan Moore and his sort of thin skinned, passive aggressive ways is the story that emerged a couple years back with Steve Bissett. Do you remember that? Yeah, but that's, that's why it's, I think a lot of people are taking this reaction from what he's saying about Dave Gibbons and David Lloyd. Because now that's Bissett, Gibbons, and Lloyd that he's not talking to. Sure, sure, absolutely. I mean, but my thing is, is like, I don't necessarily know. So for me, I do see where these the, these bits fit into Bissett's narrative of, you know, Moore is a passive-aggressive guy who goes out of his way to sort of be completely cordial and 
quote unquote affable if you get the pun um but he doesn't he does he continues to do that after the point where he's not really okay with the situation and eventually it builds up to the point where he Explodes. basically explodes and wants nothing to do with you again and i i, I definitely do not i like you said uh it's self-perpetuating behavior everyone's always going to end up disappointing alan moore because alan moore as as a you know passive aggressive hippie cannot communicate his frustrations until it's too late that being said so there's part of me that i do feel like that is a behavior that i do empathize with because i've seen it a lot in in the course of my life um and i think it i think it ends up being an incredibly lonely uh perpetually aggravated way to be um i also think that you know separate and apart from that i think that 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 alan moore has been dicked over in ways that you or i like most of the people that i know have had stories where they've been shit on in the course of freelancing or doing business or trying to get your creative endeavors done and having them cut off at the knees and you don't hear like like the level of complaining that goes on in private about just those situations i honestly feel that alan moore has a load of that shit that the rest of us can only imagine and for the most part the industry is filled with people who for the most part consider it a sad fact of the business and just generally keep their mouth shut but part of the reason for that is is they also feel that if they don't they can never work in the industry again yeah, I think that's definitely a thing. I think one of the reasons Moore can be so vocal is that Moore's made the decision that he doesn't want to play the game. Mm-hmm. Whereas there are so many people who have probably had similar, if not as, as bad experiences, who will not talk about it because they would really like that Batman fill-in issue because they need the money. Right. And that's, that is a, that's a shit situation. That is, that is not an awesome situation. And it is not that is not to the credit of the industry. You know what I mean? So I I don't necessarily, so part of me is, there's part of me where it's like, hey, the guy's got the freedom to like bitch, you know? It's like, good Yeah, I think he's bitching about the wrong things, I guess. My problem, which I think is the twist on this, is is the, uh, to take your comment and sort of extrapolate it, maybe in the wrong direction, is this the problem, is is that he's, bitching about it kind of about it from the wrong way which isn't you know the industry screwed up or dc is fucked up or you know the way that they treat creative professional talent is is horrible and sets us against each other he's basically saying the way that they're treating me alan moore is terrible yes that's that's i think where the paranoia comes in because he's not making a larger point Mm -hmm. he's making into my royalty check was six weeks late Therefore, someone is messing with me. Mm-hmm. Steve Moore's brother was dying. Therefore, someone is messing with me. Right. And it's like, no. Right. I mean, it, it, it's, I mean the, the, the beginning of the interview where he talks about Steve Moore's brother mm-hmm. um, was really upsetting to me in a couple of things. First of all, I feel that DC were not even vaguely aware of the Steve Moore brother situation, nor ultimately did they care right. once they were aware. Yeah. But Alan Moore definitely saw it that way. And the second thing is, I feel that he 
is bringing all that to the table, mm-hmm. like entirely. Mm-hmm. And so, well, I it, don't, I don't necessarily know about that, but yeah, yeah, yeah. You think you think there was on some level a Machiavellian plan to manipulate Alan Moore using Steve Moore's dying brother, who they probably didn't know about until he told them. Well, no, I do think that that there's a chance that they may have tried to manipulate Alan Moore via Steve Moore, but I don't think that that means that. So, so in other words, I think Moore's whole extrapolation of well, there's you know Steve Moore's brother, and you know it's like he's bringing he's bringing more to that than there probably is, but I don't think that he's bringing all of it. So I just wanted to clarify a little bit because again, it sort of starts moving into those realms of like he created the whole thing, and I'm like, no, I think he he's bringing more to it than than is is probably there, but not all of it. I, I apologize if I cut off your cut you off at an important point just to be. You did. I can't even remember what I was saying. <laughs> Jesus, Jeff. Um, no, I, I just feel that there is this one thing to say: this industry is fucked, and the way that it deals with people is fucked, and the way that it sets up contracts. Or because the thing I feel about the Watchmen contract is, I think there's definitely a feeling of DC and Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons agreed to a contract. That was unfair to DC. That was unfair to Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons. Mm-hmm. DC are evil, and I think what really happened is DC have just found themselves to be incredibly lucky in the way that the contract was biased, and have made no rights to correct it on a moral basis. And I think there's a difference. I don't think DC set something up in an evil way. I think DC have just been shitty in not making it better once they realized what they had. Uh, yeah, but that's still shitty. Is my no, I'm not. Say, I'm not saying it's not shitty. Right. But I think there's a difference. Be- I think there's a difference between the two. I think there's. I, I feel there's an argument made by the people who say that Moore has been shit upon, which I think he has. But I think there's an argument which is, Alan Moore agreed to a contract that was unfair, and DC knew it was unfair. And I don't think that's really the case because I don't think DC thought it was really good to be in print that long either. I think DC have just made absolutely no effort to repair it, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which which is a sin, but it's a different sin. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's a difference between Moore complaining about that than what he's doing. I think what he's doing is something entirely different and saying, I, I am being victimized mm-hmm. as opposed to the way that this industry is set up is wrong. Right. And I feel that by his focus on himself mm-hmm. and by him extrapolating these situations and making all these situations... I mean, the Steve Moore's brother thing, I genuinely think that there's a massive difference between trying to manipulate Alan through Steve and trying to manipulate Alan through Steve's dying brother. I think there's a massive difference. I agree. Um, and I think that Moore does the real issues and himself an incredible disservice mm-hmm. in approaching the way he approaches it. I don't think it's uh, uh, something he plans. I think he's like, well, this is the way I'm going to talk about it. I think it's the way he genuinely feels. Mm-hmm. But I think it's one of these situations where everything that's important about the conversation, everything gets lost in the presentation. I totally agree. I, I, I very much agree in that, which is why part it sort of like has me sort of shaking my head in a way that the conversations that follow about it, for the most part, also seem kind of lost because it really is like more about people trying to prove something about Alan Moore, I suppose, rather than trying to 
talk about some of the the larger issues in other words to sort of bring things back in to use it as a starting ground um, to build sort of a more intense discussion about these points rather than sort of what seems to me is which has happened which is using it as a, a discussion to sort of prove or disprove um, somebody's belief about Alan Moore you know and, I just feel like the whole the reactions on both sides um, and for me, especially on the pro Eleanor side, but I think that's just a reaction because I'm not on that side, yeah. uh, have been so amazingly over the top and straw manish. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I think Tom Spurgeon's piece went way too far. I mean, I think Tom had a point, but I, I think in the middle of his point, he... he Suddenly decided that he wanted he would rather run around and grab people in rhetorical headlocks? Yeah, it was, I mean... <laughs> That's not it, like Tom Spurgeon at all, Graham. What are no, you talking you, about? Do you know what I mean? No, I do I, know. I, I, the idea, because I've just looked up his thing now, he says, Moore sounds perfectly reasonable to me. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe, I'm not sure, maybe he does to Tom. But <laughs> I think anyone reading the Alan Moore piece objectively must at least at one point have thought that does not sound reasonable. I, uh, I yeah, genuinely yeah, oversteps reasonable at least twice. Mm-hmm. Any bias aside, I think there are at least two times in that interview where he actively sounds unreasonable. Yeah, uh, I I agree, and I, I I assume that you and I are in agreement that Steve Moore's dying brother is is one of them. Yes, and the other one is the six weeks late check. Uh, yeah, I. I because no, because because his his idea is either DC is short of money or someone's trying to fuck me over, and like as someone who has been freelance for what thirty years, well, yeah, must, exactly. There are so many other reasons why a check could be late. Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially for a company that has essentially just been bought by itself. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? There is, there is so there are so many reasons why that check could be late, and he does not see any. He only sees two possibilities, right. which are negative. Do you know what I mean? I, that, that's that's unreasonable. That's just I mean, or even, spoiled. I mean, you know, maybe the guy. Is, or, I mean, maybe his again. royalty checks have been showing up like clockwork for the last twenty years, even in the thick of all the stuff that he's been saying, which is kind of incredible well, if you think about it. Sound, it sounds like that's what's happened. I mean, mm-hmm. it sounds like if this is the first royalty check, it's been late. It yeah. sounds like this time that he has been spewing venom at DC and someone at DC has been like just please God get him his royalty checks on time please that's all you have to do I mean I can totally imagine Paul Levitz now spending like every month being like make sure that check was out in time make sure that check was out in time I don't have to do it and like as soon as he leaves someone forgets to tell the accounts that yeah and exactly but yeah it's just I, I I mean I just feel that Tom's response because, I mean, yeah, sure, Tom goes over the top sometimes, but I feel that Tom's response was, like, weirdly scorched earth. Mm-hmm. Where he was like, you know, it's entirely reasonable. And anyone says otherwise has no idea about the history of comics. Fuck you. It's like, really? <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> well, and you'll notice that, uh, to continue with that, there's a whole bunch of people who seem to refer to it as sort of the last word, the most sensible rejoinder. Uh, certainly Hibbs did. Um, yeah, which which kind of blows my mind. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I 
I I don't I don't see how that's how that's the case. I just don't because it's the most sensible rejoinder for me would be one that says essentially, Alan Moore has been fucked over. He has every right to be upset, but he may be taking it a bit far here. Yes, you know I mean that that's sensible to me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the fact that you know that the two definitions of sensible that seem to be accepted out there are you don't know your comics history, shut up, or Alan Moore's mental is crazy, but also in a weird way sort of speaks to the way that comics fandom is these days. Oh yeah. Uh... There, is, there is no sensible in comics fandom anymore. <laughs> well, honestly, to be fair, I'm not sure how much sensible there is in you know, at least in, in <laughs> well, in, in, in America, in American fandom, you know, like I was actually thinking like, uh, you, you've heard that of, cause God, it was inescapable. That CeeLo song, you know, that was out on the net, which, which I absolutely love before you say anything against it. And I also love the fact that there's a radio version called forget you. <laughs> I'm not joking. There really is. That's hilarious because I do think that like when I listened to that song and of course loved it and found myself singing it, I'm like kind of like, wow, like, like how, um, what has happened to society that is perfectly okay. Yeah. Like kind of like, like, that just says fuck you all the time. Exactly. Like like the sentiments, if you listen to the sentiments of the song, I mean, it's funny, but it's also kind of disturbing. Yes, exactly. That's it. I'm like, this is, you know, this is a snapshot of America 2010, like happily singing a jaunty tune where the refrain is fuck you and fuck you too. You know what I mean? Like, it's very like, yeah, that's, we're, we're living in some, some highly charged times and frankly like there's not a, there's not an area of society where like that sort of heat isn't kind of being turned up at all sorts of weird subliminal levels you know um and and not to wax too uh, absurd about it but it's kind of that weird like i remember during the election coming up to 2008 where i was just a mess of despair like the entire time, and you know, I mean, it's hardly a surprise if the, if we do have a conservative conservative uh, listeners to the podcast. I hope they will forgive me for being a, a big old <laughs> pinko living in San Francisco. Yeah, like, good luck with this one, Jeff. What? No, no, no. I mean, I, I I do say like seriously. I don't I don't mean to offend you know you or your viewpoints, but for myself, I was incredibly glad when. Obama moved into the presidency and I sort of felt like I got a good two-year reprieve of this sort of bowel-clenching, you know, distress and anger and frustration at, at the way the country was going. And now, of course, I sort of find myself like right back in it, you know, even heavier in some ways. So it, it kind of doesn't surprise me in a way that the, the, that the comics internet is being crazy about this because I, I look at everything and everything just seems so crazily hyperbolic and quick to slam. Like, here's an amazing example. I'm shocked by, uh, uh, as, as a person with an iPhone who likes to download himself an app every now and again, I like downloaded this really great camera app that I thought did a ton of great stuff. They got pulled from the marketplace because they they pulled a they did a really dumb no no in that they had a feature that the Apple Store did not okay, and then they put it in 
they put it in on the QT on one of their patches and then leaked. Wow, that's really stupid. Yeah, well, it's it's one of those things. I mean, I think they you could see a lot of different ways in which they thought that it was okay. But yeah, one of the things that was dumb was they turned it into an Easter egg for their app. And then they leaked how to activate this thing that Apple specifically told them could not be active in the app. And so their their app got pulled, like Apple just pulled it. It has been over a month. And so there's been like no updates to this app. And apparently some people like downloaded the damn thing and then went to sync it on, you know, downloaded on their phone and then never synced it with their computer. I don't know. All I know is like on the the blog page of this app, which was great because they had kept a very big blog where they talked about how, you know, they were sort of promoting their app by talking about, by writing a blog about how to promote apps, essentially. And they were talking about, you know, making sure you have full features and communicating with, you know, your um, customers. And then, of course, once this all happened, they have stopped updating this blog. And people in the comments field are going apeshit. Like, and I'm kind of like, okay, I can understand being a little bit frustrated that you have an app that will never, you'll never be able to update past this original point, but it was good enough for you in the first place. And why are you, like, these are people who clearly misstepped their bounds and are literally paying the price for it. The comments are filled with people who are like, I'm telling everyone never to buy another app from you people again. You people are unconscionable in the way that you treat your customers. I'm like, they're probably trying to avoid a lawsuit from Apple at this point and can't say anything. But I was just shocked by how untitled it was. Like, like admittedly, the company did a stupid thing. And I'm sure there's a lot of people who are paying for it in many different ways right now. But to have commenters turn around and go you know, you people are absolutely irresponsible and I'm telling everyone never to buy an app from you ever again because you won't update this. I'm like, because you're not updating an app? It's not like it was broken. It's just, it's not, I, you know what I mean? Am I just sputtering on crazily? Like, no, no, I, I, I think it's, it's, I think it's interesting you said, use the word entitled because I think that's what it is. Mm-hmm. I think everyone has a strange sense of entitlement on almost every topic these days. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I don't, I mean, God knows where it came from, yeah, uh, I don't but, it, but it's, it's, but it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's what people are really getting upset about. They're getting upset about the fact that life does not work the way they want it to work. Yeah. Which is really weird. Yeah, um, cause that's not a recent development, <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. Life did not recently start to suck. <laughs> it's kind of always been this way unless you're lucky. And yeah. you know, it's, it's become this weird thing where, and maybe this is just me, but it's gone from, in fact, that I think about it, this is totally just me, expecting the worst and being happily surprised when something happens mm-hmm. to expecting the best and being perpetually angry that yeah. that does not happen. Well, yeah. I mean, or or even some sort of weird... Like it's... beyond the best. Expect, mm-hmm. Expecting better than the best. Yeah, right, exactly. Ex- expecting, like, having your expectations set to a level. And, I mean, that's, uh, it, it, I don't know. I mean, it's a, it's a really, really weird thing. I mean, you know, and, of course, clearly not everybody's like that. It could just be the people, you know, 
there's a good chunk of it where it's like the people who take the time to actually talk on the net about stuff, you know, like, I mean, clearly the people, I'm sure there's a lot of people who read that Alan Moore interview and didn't have an opinion one way or another. There were people who like, you know, like ran right into the mosh pits with their, you know, elbows up. Uh, And then there were people who just totally didn't, Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's one of those things that's very ironic is that, you know, no, but, but this totally ties in with um, something that Stuart Moore said in the comments section to... To Hibbs' thing? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Did you see that comment? Um, hmm. I saw it and didn't retain it, so I can scroll the, the, the short The short version is, essentially, lots of people are saying that they are feeling very disconnected from superior comments right now. Right. But the sales do not back this, back up the mass migration that people are talking about. Um, Therefore... Like, they, they reflect a migration, but not the mass migration. Um, therefore, people are buying comics and not... The people who are buying comics are not the same people who are talking about them. Right. Yeah, no, and that's... They that's, are essentially a silent majority. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That, that, and, I mean, that's always been the case that, you know, Hibbs, God bless him, has always been kind of quick to say, like, the, the internet is not the real world, and it does not... It doesn't... It, it doesn't it doesn't map with reality correctly that being said i do think that there is a there's a lot of weird fudge factor in comics that is difficult to figure out you know i do think that there are there aren't that i think most of the true completists in comics must have died by now from financial ruin you know but there probably still are people who are buying you know, all of those Thor titles and, you know, not reading them, you know, like, so it's like, it's not really like you've got, you know, four people, you know, when you see, when you see X-Men selling, you know, however many thousand copies there are, there are those people who are buying those variant covers that the one in... Sure, but, but think, I mean, up. but if you look at the, okay, so Hibbs is obviously comics experience, experience is not going to map to other stores. Agreed. But, Hibbs essentially says that the new X-Men title is selling, what was it? It was something horrible. It's like 20% of Uncanny. Right. But that is the opposite of what you see in the sales chart. Right. No, and this is the thing that's really true, is Hibbs has always been really Hibbs. crazy, crazily different from the from the sales chart and the rest of the country in a lot of ways. You see that yeah. when his stuff gets posted. You know, um, Marvel... The, the fact that Marvel has continued to outsell DC, you know, to the point where it grew to a two-to-one two margin, I doubt that that was reflected at Comics Experience. I, I would think that it probably shifted a little bit, but, but Hibbs has always been, you know, a DC-heavy store, so Marvel hasn't had as much of a chance for a hold in there. Um, you know, but I do think that there's a lot of things that, obviously there were a lot of things that he and, and there are more people who are buying trades of course which i think is actually a really good i mean moore's piece pulled from some um you know he he definitely compares it with the dark days but we're definitely you know selling more trade paperbacks and i would say that there's probably more of what hibbs calls the civilians in comics than there were 10 years ago which i think is a great thing um, I, I'd like to hope that was the case. You know, but I do think that there's a, a problem with with Marvel putting out 
you know, four Thor titles, even if I'm aware, as uh, somebody else pointed out in the comments, um, that, that the Roger Lankridge, Chris Samney book that we both love probably would not have made it, you know, to the marketplace if they hadn't had a need for three Thor titles, you know. Well, no, exactly. With um, a quote-unquote need in there, you know. Well, I, I, something I'm fascinated about with when it comes to the Thor titles is um, at what point does Hickman and Pacheco's Ultimate Thor eat into Fraction and Fairy's mm-hmm. Mighty Thor? Considering they're launching, what, a month apart? Yeah. I mean, I'm, even though they're different universes, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. um, I'm sure those are those two are launches are happening so close together and with essentially the same level of creator right. that, that they're going to eat each other. Right. Yeah, and It'll... and so that's the point where I'm with, like because I can see, I, I can see the. I mean, I had this weird thing earlier on today where I kind of thought that DC wasn't selling enough Green Lantern books, mm-hmm. purely because they don't have a mighty uh, Thor the Mighty Avenger for Green Lantern. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? I was like, there's no entry point mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for Green Lantern right now, uh-huh. and that struck me as an oversight. Um, and I think that Mighty Avenger does that. I think Thor the Mighty Avenger. Is that book? It's an entry point for people who don't want to essentially commit to the Marvel universe, right? Um, and I think there's a value in that. Um, but I think when it comes to like Fraction and Fairy relaunching Mighty Thor or Thor, or whatever it's called, is it Mighty Thor? Am I imagining that? I, 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 I don't. I'm not tracking enough to actually know. Um, and and Hickman and, and Pacheco launch Ultimate Thor. Even though I know they're different universes, I honestly kind of expect them to be the same story in a weird way. Mm-hmm. Not not same not same story, the same tone. Right. And so, I don't see the value in buying both unless you're a massive Thor fan. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there's that many massive Thor fans. Right. Which which again jumps back to Hibbs's point is like there's not that many, you know, even talking in, in his outside of his own customer base the sales figures are such that you know we we all see what thor sells it's not it's not in the 100,000 copy range so the idea of risking carving that up three times you know it's it it's it's way more than three mhm well, i mean right they've got like by the time november rolls around it's something like six thor books that are out there right which is mind boggling yeah, and I mean, this is it. Marvel, I feel, is clearly sort of, you know, they're strip-mining the direct market to underwrite their costs to to enter the trade market with all those titles for when the Thor movie launches. And I think that that's, um, you know, I, I, I think that Hibbs's point uh, uh, about them being irresponsible and even DC's being irresponsible to the families and the franchises and things are having a, a deleterious effect. And, and of course his whole, whole point of like, if I order, you know, five copies, like I've got to sell, you know, three to break even and four to make a profit, you know, and when, Oh, that if you're, you know, you must sell four just to break even. If you're ordering three copies, unless you sell each and every one of them, you're losing money. 
So the idea that there's so many titles, that's something that I didn't realize and should have in reading Hibbs's article, that the more titles there are, obviously the less copies really an, a retailer can order of each title yeah. um, or they have to ignore things. And the more they do that, the more their profit margin goes down and the more they're fighting just to break even. Like that is an incredibly bad way to like run the market, you know, from, from, from Marvel and DC's perspective. Cause I don't think that it's, it's not like they don't know that they just are like, you know, they don't necessarily care, you know, that, that's what I was going to say. I, I think they know that just fine. Mm-hmm. I, I just think, I think it's going to get to the point where, and I think Marvel are more guilty of this in DC, but purely at this point, because they got a head start. Mm-hmm. Um, that they're happy to run every franchise into the ground. Yeah. yeah every yeah, single yeah. one. Every, I, I think that there's, they will happily just go to it with the idea of as long as they can keep it alive until the movie, mm-hmm. they'll be fine. Right. Right. Um, so, yeah, I kind of, I, man, I, I don't know. I just think that um, I, I definitely get a little worried. Uh, about these things. Have I told you my, like, do you want to hear my, like, Alan Moore paranoid level theory about Marvel? Yes, and then I look forward to the internet um, complaining about you. As they should, because this really is. This is a completely crazy theory. I totally came up with it by myself. I more or less dismissed it because it was so crazy, but it has continued to haunt me ever since. Um, as somebody who spends a lot of time like looking at downloading and paying for digital comics like you know on on the legit like through the comicsology site and through the mm-hmm. various uh iPod uh apps um i noticed that like like the other day i was like wow you know marvel is really really on it as far as reprinting Brubaker's Captain America, like the current Captain Americas, they're always like throwing in a run and they're making sure that usually the first issue of that run is like free. So it's kind of like each arc is kind of like a, has a jumping on point because it's got a free issue for it. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, that's a pretty sensible sort of way to, to run things. And I'm like, it's fascinating that they're being so, you know, kind of comprehensive about it. And it, my huge big flash of paranoid fear that like struck out of the blue was like oh my god they're doing this so that by the time the captain america movie launches they'll have every issue of captain america on comics you know on their app to be able to be purchased like for free you know or not for free? Per- i'm sorry someone was not that's crazy by the that, end of the that's sentence. not gonna happen yes um, sorry I, why why do you think that's crazily paranoid um, I guess because because that strikes, that strikes me as incredibly likely. <laughs> uh, I guess the incredibly paranoid jump beyond that is the idea that I started thinking: What if Marvel wants to do with digital what it did with Hero, Heroes World back in nineteen ninety eight, nineteen ninety nine? You know? No, like, I don't. Think, I don't think they will. Well, of course, nobody does because there's that idea of like you would have to be batshit insane to put to take to take the money that you gain on a completely no risk basis in the direct market every month and trade it for the amorphous world of of digital sales 
You know. You oh no, I, I don't. Nuts. I don't even think it's that. I think that. Uh, I think that for Disney, Marvel print is useful. Mm. See, I actually think the opposite. That doesn't because Disney does not have its own comics chain, I, and it is incredibly successful. No, but they successful do have and, their own sales chains. Well, they have their own sales chains, but they don't have their own comics company. They have characters that they are happy to license out and have other people create. Yeah, but that's not going to last. Uh, maybe not. I, I mean, would I would lay money that as soon as the boom license is up, Marvel will take over those books. I mean, that's not even a question for me. But And here's my thing, is like, again, having poked around with the Disney digital app a little bit for the Disney comics, the the huge market for Disney comics is not in the American market. It's all over in Europe, in Italy, in Norway, in the Scandinavian characters, where Disney comics are enormously huge. And again, it's this thing of Disney has, part, you know, they have partnerships. They have the characters. They don't care about whether or not they actually publish them themselves. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take your bet in the sense that I totally think that Marvel will end up with the rights for the Disney characters um, after the boom contract expires, and almost nothing happens from it. Almost nothing, because I don't think that, you know, ultimately what's going to happen is it'll be one of those situations where Disney's going to be like. Okay, so just start cranking out those titles of, you know, Super Goof and, and uh, you know, uh, Chip and Dale. And people are going to be like, well, okay, but we'll have to hire more people. It's like, what, do you, what are you talking about? You know, I, 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 I think... Oh, no, I, I think Marvel will take over the license. Mm-hmm. And all the reprint books that Boomer are doing will keep going. All the original books will all be put into one monthly title. Hmm. Or maybe two, like Marvel Adventures but it will be done with the same people who do the Marvel Adventures stuff. Maybe. Maybe. And I think that the, as much as I think the Marvel is constantly just trying to grow and grow its output, I think things like Sense and Sensibility and the Wizard of Oz books mm-hmm. will be replaced in some manner by the Disney books. Mm, maybe. I mean, I, my, my personal theory is, is the Sense and Sensibility and the Oz stuff those are kind of no-brainers for them in that if they keep their overhead down, it's like they just, it's just, you know, it's just a sop to the library market, the way the classics illustrated were back when I was a kid, you know? I, I think they think that they don't have to take from one to do the other, per se, particularly because some of those things are being done. With. I, I'm sure Roy Thomas would happily step in and, and write Uncle Scrooge, I'm sure, for them. Uh, and that, that might not be a terrible thing. But, he, um, he might even pay them to do it. <laughs> that would be great. Dear Disney Company, enclosed is my check for $300 and my first issue of Uncle Scrooge, where I retroactively explain all the continuity and uh, no, show come how... on. Roy Thomas takes over Uncle Scrooge. The first issue is him fighting Hitler. Come on. Ah, damn it. You cut me off before I got to my punchline. <laughs> that was totally... That's, I'm like, get to the point. Hitler. Get going. to the Hitler. Damn it. Yeah. Um... Uh, so my so my big parent because you know the whole thing again I had that little twinge of paranoia sense when uh, Marvel is being more aggressive about shutting down uh, you know torrented and pirate pirated comic sites yeah which, which has been really interesting over the last month or so seeing them yeah they jump on that yeah I mean they've had their Marvel digital plan around for a long time and 
didn't really seem, as far as I can tell, to care too much about this stuff. But so again, you know, part of me is like, it would be absolutely crazy and batshit insane for them to um, to to like do something crazy like jump to an all digital or strongly digital marketplace. But it was kind of batshit insane when they turned around and grabbed Heroes World and said that they were going to, you know, distribute them their comics themselves. Now, I mean, it it was a huge huge crazy ass coke snorting maneuver that that really like you know that we're still feeling the effects of now you know 10 plus years later so yeah but i i i I just think that's very unlikely because i don't think the current regime of marvel are a the old regime of marvel or b that stupid well i will certainly give you a um and like i said <laughs> in my defense i i did in fact uh say that it was pal- uh, you know alan moore levels of paranoid and crazy so which is a nice sort of round robin way of wrapping this hour up indeed indeed um so let's jump i need to check and make sure what's going on with dinner with the misses um, and then I will either call you back or send you a text and let you know what's going on. Okay, and if, if we do come back, yes, we should try and tackle some more of those questions from last week. I, I have had them up on the screen the whole time. I think it's kind of great, though, that we were able to talk about all this, that we're still able to provide content without being <laughs> slaves to uh, people like submitting questions. Like, which one of you has, like, is the fancier dresser? You. No, no, it's totally you. Are you kidding? <laughs> Which one of us buys clothes on Etsy? Quick. Well, okay. Well, actually, it's not fair. Kate. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's an answer I can totally live with, of course. Wait, wait, which, which one of us is dressed more than the other? Probably me. <laughs> <laughs> By which I mean is given suggestions what to wear as opposed to is actually wearing clothes because I think we wear clothes the same amount. <laughs> I don't know. Those numbers might surprise you. Um, is there something you want to tell me about what you're wearing right now, Jeff? My, my rampant nudity? I'm actually <laughs> dressed, unfortunately. It would have made a fine argument if I had said otherwise. But uh, This is a podcast. You could have lied for Comic Effect. I know. And who knows? May still yet. <laughs> exactly, yes. Go. Find out what your plan is and then come back aboard. Okay. I will, I will let you know uh, one way or another in just a few minutes. Okay, cool. Okay.